Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Don't you love Banjo Day? Man, I do. I do. It's a lot of fun. Do you have your Bibles this morning? All right, you need to turn them to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have been working through 2 Corinthians for quite some time now. Moving along at a pretty slow rate, we should finish with 2 Corinthians in the next three or four years at, at this pace, and uh, we will uh, milk every little bit out of it we can, we can possibly find. And it's been good. Uh, I hope it's been good for you. It's been good for me lately, especially as Paul talks about um, persevering in the midst of affliction, in the midst of trouble, uh, not losing heart, keeping the faith, preaching the gospel in the midst of any kind of trouble we might face. I'm thankful that God brings us His Word uh, when we need it. Brings us just exactly what we need, just exactly when we need it. And uh, we trust that He's going to do the same thing today. Last week, we, we saw Paul teach us some very humbling things about ourselves. Uh, he said that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He said that we are weak, uh, we are needy, we are prone to being broken, and we are of little value. And, uh, and that might be the best news we could hear all day, right? So that we don't uh, overestimate ourselves, we don't uh, find pride in ourselves, but we are humble and we trust the Lord Jesus. Uh, when we are pressed, we trust in Him. When we experience persecution, we look to Him. Uh, it is clear in all of the Christian life that the power does not come from ourselves, right? It couldn't possibly come from ourselves. I know the power that is contained in my flesh, and it is nothing. So any power, any display of power has to come from the Lord, right? And He designed it that way. He designed it that way that in our weaknesses, His strength would shine through. In our frailty, His power would shine through. He designed it that way so when we see our weaknesses, we should not deny them. We should not uh, oppose them. Uh, we should rather embrace them and admit them and recognize that these are opportunities for God's strength to shine through in our lives. We talked about the great treasure that is the gospel. We said that the, the value of the container is not the point. It's the value of what that container holds. And that in this clay pot, God has entrusted the treasure of the gospel, the infinite treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's put it into this weak vessel so that his power can be displayed, so that his grace can be on display. And so we don't need to get this backwards. We don't need to think that the, that the glory is in the vessel and not the contents of the vessel. Rather, we need to see that the glory is in the contents and not the vessel itself. We talked about all these things. We talked about how at the end of the text he says, so death works in us, but life works in you. Paul says that's the way it works. That's the pattern that God has set up from the beginning. Death in us so that there may be life in you. It's the pattern that Jesus demonstrates for us on the cross, right? Aren't you thankful that he's willing to enter into this cycle, into this pattern where there is death in him so that there is life in us? If he has done that for us, that's the pattern that we should show for each other. Lay down our lives for each other. Death working in us so that life may come to others. Um, Matt Oshel reminded me of a sermon we heard not too long ago where uh, a pastor said, behind every living church is a dying pastor. And that's a good thing. That's the design. That's the pattern. Death in us so that there's life in you. And that's the way it should be in your families. Death in you for life for them. That's the way it should be for the nations. Death in us so that life may work in them. That's the way it has always worked and we need to embrace that pattern. This week, you're going to see more application for ministry. You're going to hear some very encouraging things about not losing heart. Man, there's some dynamite gospel truth in the text today. So let's look at it. Chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians Starting in verse 13. This is what God's word says. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, 
I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray. God, thank you for the power that raised Jesus from the dead. I thank you that that was power that was not on display just 2,000 years ago. That that was an event that didn't just happen 2,000 years ago, but that is a power and an event that is at work in our lives day by day. God, I pray that we will see the power of the resurrection in our lives today. God, I pray that you teach us that we don't see the power of the resurrection unless we see the suffering of the cross as well in our own lives. God, I pray that as we encounter suffering of various kinds, and God, you know, you know the kind of suffering of your people today. You, you know that there are people in this room who are sick. You know there are people in this room who are sad. You know there are people in this room who are broke. People in this room who are struggling. God, I pray that in the midst of those sufferings, you will show your strength and your faithfulness, that your people will not lose heart because we know the power of the resurrection, because we know the end of the story. God, I pray that we will be a people that live with confidence, a people that preach with boldness, a people that live for you in every moment of our lives. God, show us yourself today in your word. Show us ourselves rightly in light of your word, in light of your presence. God, help us to respond faithfully to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you look at this text today, um, in verse 13, it starts with the word but. Uh, that seems to be happening a lot in the text as we study it. All these conjunctions connecting the text that we study on one week with the text that we've already studied the weeks before. And this one is the same. If you look in verse 12, he says, So death works in us, but life in you. That doesn't sound like a very happy story. That doesn't sound like something that is real enticing to say, hey, that's what, well, that's what we want you to sign up for. Out in the central link, we've got a sign-up sheet. Death in you for life and other people. How many of you are going to put your name on that list? It's right next to the uh, cake and pie list. No, you're going to sign the cake and pie list, not this list. It doesn't sound like a very enticing thing. It doesn't sound like a very appealing thing. And Paul knows that, and so he gives some qualifications to it. He says, indeed, this is the way it works. Death in us, life in you. And then he says, but, but there's some good news in all that. There's some motivation, there's some vision, there's some hope as you enter into that process of dying daily so that others may live, of dying daily so that you, in fact, may live. There's some encouragement in the midst of that. And that's what he's about to bring to us today. He's about to bring to us all this encouragement so that we will sign on for this cycle and this pattern of death in us and life in you. Look what he says next in the text. He says, but having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. What Paul is doing here is he's quoting Psalm 116. 
And I want to read that whole thing to you. In fact, I want you to turn there, Psalm 116. I want you to go there and see something profound happening in Paul's life. And we're going to draw some application from this. Because what you're going to see is that Psalm 116, in its entirety, directly relates to the situation Paul was going through. You remember back earlier in 2 Corinthians, he talked about the trouble he experienced in Asia. He talked about the trouble he had experienced in Ephesus. He talked about all this trouble that he had been through. Well, in the midst of that trouble, evidently Paul is reading the Scriptures. And as he's reading the Scriptures in the midst of his trouble, God brings him to Psalm 116. And I want you to hear, as we read through Psalm 116, how directly parallel it is to Paul's life as he is writing to the people in Corinth. Look what it says in Psalm 116. It says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Paul knew that, right? That's where he was. In fact, earlier in chapter 1, he said, I wanted to die. I was so distressed and overwhelmed and overcome, I wanted to die. That's what the psalmist says as well. Then, in verse 4, I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and He saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed when I said, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Oh, Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Don't you love that? Don't you relate to that? And and maybe if you don't now, you have. And if you have not yet, you will. To come to this point where you say, oh, the cords of death are all around me. Sheol is swallowing me up. I'm dying here. And there doesn't seem to be any help. So what do I do? I call upon the Lord. I call upon the Lord. And what does he do? He rescues us. He saves us. And then what do we do? We praise him. And we serve him. This is a beautiful thing. And what I want you to see is that Paul was reading the Bible for his life. He was in the scriptures for his life. And as he was reading the scriptures and stuff was happening in his life, there was a parallel. And he couldn't wait to tell other people about it. You see, when we read in the Old Testament a simple quotation of one verse of scripture, especially if it's in the Psalms, it is not just meant to reflect that one little thought. It's meant to point us to the whole big picture. And Paul says, this is it. This is it. I found encouragement in the scriptures. In the midst of my distress, I found encouragement in the scriptures. And in my encouragement, I was emboldened to preach. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians. He says, having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Paul says he found comfort in the scriptures. And the comfort encouraged him to preach the gospel. And I'm telling you, that's the way it's supposed to work for us too. And what I found in my own life, is that I'm not disciplined enough to be in the scriptures, especially when difficult times come. 
I think when difficult times come, I tend to kind of pull away and, and neglect the Scriptures. I tend to kind of pull back in the midst of my busyness or in the midst of my suffering and not engage the Scriptures like I should. But over and over again, when I do come back to the Scriptures, I find myself reading exactly what I need to read on that certain day. And so I want to give us some applications today right off the bat about the importance of reading the Bible for our lives. That if we are reading the Bible all the time, God will bring us what we need. We've seen it in here, right? We've seen it in here. But we only get this chance 52 times a year, right? 52 times a year we get together and we study a certain passage of Scripture and over and over and over again we've seen it speak right into the life of the church collectively, just what we need. Why would we think He wouldn't do that every day if we're disciplined to study His Word, right? And so what I want you to see is the importance of studying the Scriptures for our daily living. We need to have disciplined reading in our lives. Write that down. Disciplined reading. We need a plan. We need some structure. We need some discipline where every day we are engaging the Scriptures. Our reading of the Scriptures needs to be disciplined. Secondly, our reading of the Scriptures needs to be prayerful. I don't just need to open up the book and read. I need to first go to God and say, God, speak. God, speak to my heart. Because I know this book is living and active. I know this book is breathed from your mouth. So God, you speak as I study it. I want to hear from you. I don't want to hear from Paul. I don't want to hear from a commentator. I don't want to hear from Peter. I want to hear from you. And so as we are disciplined to read, we also must be prayerful in our reading. And I think thirdly, we need to read in community. We need to read together and be discussing these things together. That's the beauty of Sunday school, right? Small group Bible study, we get together and we study the same passage of Scripture all week. And then we come together on Sunday morning to talk about it. It's a good thing. Charlie Peppersack's a Sunday school teacher. And for the last three weeks in a row now, he has come up to me just before the service and said, I had a great Sunday school today. And I'm like, yes! This is great! That's the way it's supposed to go. Sunday school is a good thing because we're reading the Scriptures. We're studying the Scriptures to get together. And that's so important. And then finally, number four, we need to read humbly. We need to read humbly, recognizing that we're going to get behind. I'll tell you something that's, that's really neat and something I've seen a couple times this year. Um, I'm not as disciplined as I should be in Scripture reading. And so I've gotten behind a couple of times. And it's been so neat to watch the way God is sovereign, even over my laziness, even over my indifference. Because there was a time not too long ago where I got about 10 days behind in this program that I'm in. About 10 days behind. And then I go to catch up. And it turns out the scriptures that I should have read 10 days ago are exactly what I needed on the 10th day. I didn't need them necessarily 10 days ago. I needed them on that day. And it was glorious because I thought God is so in control that even when I'm a loser and don't do what I'm supposed to do, He is faithful and sovereign, even structuring maybe even my disobedience to get me where I'm supposed to be at just the right time. Does that make sense to you? So you need to read humbly thinking, okay, God, you're in charge of all of this. You're totally in charge of all this. And I just want to hear from you. And I'm going to trust that you're going to, going to work it out. I think we need to come to Him not uh, proud of, oh, I've kept it. I've read 10 chapters every day this year. It's not the goal, right? Not to say we checked it off the list, but humbly to come before him and say, God, speak to me. And I haven't, I haven't been faithful this last week, but I trust you. I trust you even in the midst of my unfaithfulness to speak. Paul was in the Word. He came to the Word and found encouragement from Psalm 116. And in his encouragement, he went on preaching. I think that's the best part about it. He says, we also believe, therefore we also speak. Believe this and then go speak. Look at verse 14. 
Verse 14 is dynamite, isn't it? It says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. This is a clear theme of 2 Corinthians, the application of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember back months and months and months ago, as we were studying in 1 Corinthians, we came to chapter 15, where Paul talked about the resurrection of Christ, right? He says, I proclaim to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and was raised the third day according to the scriptures, right? We celebrated that. We, says the, we said the resurrection is real. Paul goes on and he says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, oh, we're pitiful, we're worthless, we're still in our sins, we are dead. He says, but Christ has been raised from the dead, right? And then he connects that by saying, and his resurrection, which is a real historical fact, a real historical event, has implications for us. That Christ is the first fruits of those who will rise from the dead. The beginning, the down payment of something more to come. And we are that more to come. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead. Yeah, this is good, good news for us. Because if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we go to the grave and it's over. And the worms eat us. But because Christ has been raised from the dead, we go to the grave waiting for Him to come back when we will be raised up to live like Him and with Him forevermore. This is the good news that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians. Now in 2 Corinthians, he's applying that to our ministries. He says, listen, you need to know that's what's coming at the end of this. Suffering, 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 trouble, tribulation here and now. But take heart, Christ will raise you from the dead. Do you see what he says? He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. I heard a guy preaching last night and he says, you know, you know that we know the end of the story. We know the outcome of this battle, right? How would the Bulldogs have played yesterday if you knew, if you knew going in you were going to win as big as you were going to win? How would you have played? With the utmost confidence, right? If you knew that was the outcome. What was it? What was it? Like 500 to 7? Somewhere around there? It was a big win, right? If you had known that's the way it was going to go, you walk out of that locker room with some confidence. You walk onto that field with some swagger. You walk onto that field with some boldness, right? That's the way we should live, church. Trouble, tribulation, persecution. You're still going to take those hits, right? You're still going to end up hurt at the end of the day, but you win. That's the way it works with us. We're still going to experience the trouble. We're still going to experience the tribulation, but in the end, what happens? We're raised from the dead, We're raised from the dead. We need to live with that kind of assurance and that kind of boldness and that kind of victory. Listen, the outcome is already done. We win. Christ wins. And He raises us with Him. And it is a glorious day. We need to remember that. Look back to chapter 1, verse 8. I'm telling you, this is a theme throughout 2 Corinthians. You need to get this. Look what he says in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia. That we were burdened excessively. Listen to this language. This is going to come back up. That we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. So that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. So that we would, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Who delivered us from so great a peril of death. And will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope. And he will yet deliver us. You also, 
joining and helping us through our prayers, through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. You catch that? Paul says, real trouble. Real trouble, real pain, so that we would not trust ourselves, but we would trust the Lord. That's exactly what he says in chapter 4 again. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Look what he says in verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may, be caused, may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. What he does here is he lays a pretty good foundation. And he starts talking about purpose. Why, why do we do all of this? We know what we do. And we know how it's going to be, suffering and then glory. We know what we're involved with. The question is, why do we do it? What, what is the goal we're working toward when we embrace this death in us, life in you business? What's the outcome that we're looking for? He lays it down here and he gives us two purposes. But he gives them in order. One of them is a penultimate purpose, a secondary purpose. And the other one is the ultimate or the primary purpose. Look what he says about the secondary purpose in verse 15. He says, for all things are for your sakes. This is the secondary purpose for ministry. The secondary purpose for ministry is for your good. The reason why we preach the way we do is for your good. The reason why we sacrifice the way we do is for your good. The reason why we give of this time, the reason why we give of this passion, the reason why we give of this energy is for your good. We want good things to happen in you. That's why Paul went through what he went through. That's why he traveled all over the world preaching the gospel. He loved people. And if you don't believe that, read Romans. Read the middle of Romans when he says, I wish I could be accursed. For the sake of your salvation. He's talking about his countrymen. His fellow Jewish people. And he says, listen, if I could be accursed and you would be saved, i take it. He loves those folks, right? And Paul says that's part of why we do ministry. But that's a secondary purpose. If that becomes the primary purpose for why we do ministry. If the primary purpose of why you sing these songs in the choir is for their sakes. If the primary purpose why you serve in the nursery is for the sake of those little ones, that's trouble. We should care about them and we should love them, but that's not the primary objective. Look what he says in the text. He says, all, all things are for your sakes. And then he gives us the bigger picture, the ultimate picture. He says, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. You catch that? He says, we do all this for your sake, so that you will hear the gospel, so that you'll respond to the gospel, so that you'll obey, repent, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But the whole purpose of you being saved is so that God will get thanks and God will get glory. Does that make sense to you? So his glory is the ultimate purpose, not just in Paul's ministry. I want you to hear that his glory is the ultimate purpose of everything on the planet. Everything in all of creation exists for the glory of God. Why did he create the sun and the moon? For his own glory, right? Why did he separate the land from the sea? For his own glory. Why did he create Adam and Eve? For his own glory. Why did he send the Passover lamb to rescue Israel? For his own glory, right? Why did he send the prophets to warn the people? For his own glory. Why did he send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins? For his own glory he did that. Why does he bring his grace to my life and your life? For his own glory. So that grace would spread, no doubt. We want to see grace spread. But why do we want to see grace spread? Why do we want to see the gospel taken to the nations? Why, why, do we, why do we want to leave the good life here and go to the nations? Why do we want to do that? So that God gets the glory that he deserves. 
Because he is not worshipped as he should be in places all around the planet. He's not worshipped here as he should be. The glory of God is the motivation, is the goal, is the purpose, is the end that we are striving for. Amen? I'm telling you, if you don't get that, if you don't get that, and if you live your life for the secondary purposes, you're going to be in a world of hurt. You're going to be in a world of pain and in a world of disappointment. But if you live your life for the glory of God, oh man, look out. If you are motivated by the glory of God, it's a beautiful thing. Look what he says in verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. And then look what he does in verse 16. He starts this great contrast. He says, therefore, and I think that therefore stretches way back in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, based on all of this that we have heard, all of this that we've been taught, therefore, we do not lose heart. Yes. We do not lose heart. Why should we? What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen in this room right now? Oh, the whole place fall in and kill us all. Eh, that's no big deal, right? Well, for me, it's not. Maybe for some of you, that's a terrifying prospect. Maybe, maybe for some of you in this room, say, oh man, I hope, I hope that doesn't happen because if that happened and I die, uh, it's not going to be good. Because you recognize that you're far from God recognizing that you are separated from him because of your sins and you don't have a rescuer because the only rescuer is Jesus and you've denied him and rejected him over and over and over again. But for those of us who know him, this room falls in on us. Hey, I'm going home. Somebody comes in and says, you stop preaching that gospel or else. And I keep preaching the gospel and they slay me. Hey, all right. That's a special place. That's a special place. I think for those of us who are in Christ, we don't have anything to worry about in this life. The worst that they could do to us is send us to be with our Lord. Ha! Huh. They might take away all of our stuff. Who cares? We've got eternal stuff, right? Eternal treasures. We've got nothing to worry about. And so he says, we don't lose heart. There's no reason, no reason in the world for a Christian to be discouraged. And if there was ever a Christian who could have been discouraged, it was Paul, right? Paul was down, beaten, made fun of. He was ugly too, evidently. And he was never discouraged. He always looked to the Lord. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. What a paradox that is, right? The outer man wasting away, some of your translations say, but the inner man being made new every day. Paul knew what that looked like. Some of you know what that looks like. I think, I think Brad knows what that looks like. I think he's shown us a little bit of what that looks like. Sick, afflicted, down. But his inner man's okay. His body may be suffering. There may be pain. But his inner man's doing all right. And his inner man is encouraging our inner man, right, for the suffering that we might experience. Paul says, listen, the outer man is decaying, but our inner man is being renewed day by day. Then he says the most astonishing thing. He says, for momentary, light affliction. Paul, describing his afflictions, momentary and light. He says, for momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. You catch what he does there? He takes the reality of his suffering and he compares it to the glory that is before him. 
And he says, when you put those things on the balance, <laughs> right? There's no doubt about it. No matter how great your suffering may be, the glory that awaits you is incomparable. Doesn't even come close. Makes your suffering look like momentary light affliction. Is preparing for you, in you, an eternal weight of glory. You know who else knew this? You know who else got this? You know who I believe Paul learned this from? It's the Lord Jesus himself. Right? Don't we learn that he who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising its shame? That Jesus was able to look through and past the suffering that he was enduring to the glory that was on the other side? What if we could learn that? What if we could learn that and then we lose our job? What if we could learn that and then we lose our health? What if we could learn that and then lose everything? We'd be fine. We'd be fine because the outer man is decaying, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. For the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And then he says this in verse 18. This is huge. He says, while we look... We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Brad, what do you see? What can we see when we look at your life? We can see a guy who has one leg now, right? We can see a guy who got a terrible infection and was extremely sick. We can see pain. You can see pain. What happens if that's what you focus on? What happens if that's what you look at every day? That you look at that leg and say, the leg is gone. You look at that fever and say, fever is here. You look at the pain and say, oh, it's unbearable. What if that's what you spent all day focusing on, looking on? You'd be destroyed. You'd be just absolutely destroyed. And so many of our brothers and sisters, that's the way we live. But what should we do in the midst of that kind of suffering? We don't look at what's seen. We look at what's unseen. That doesn't make any sense at all, does it? No, unless you're a Christian, unless you have hope that is unseen, unless you can look past this leg, unless you can look past the infection, unless you can look past the pain and see that God is working in this. And I think that's the great privilege that we have sitting on this side of your situation. We see God at work, right? We can see that, and we want you to be able to see that. We want you to focus on that, to look at that. That's what Paul says. What I'm getting at here is that this is not natural. What Paul says in verse 18 is not natural. We naturally look at what is seen. We naturally are inclined to look at that leg, to look at the infection, look at the pain, and focus on that. Paul says, we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. We've got to discipline ourselves to look past that, through that, beyond that, to what is not seen, which is glorious and wonderful, right? And then he says this. This is the most hopeful thing. For things which are seen are temporal. Temporal pain. Temporal infection. Temporal prosthesis. Temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. That's what I want to be looking at. That's what I want to be focused on. That's the vision that I want to have that will sustain me through the temporary trouble. Paul got it. I think Brad gets it. What about you? What about me? What about us together? Do we get this? Three applications today. 
and then we're done. Number one, we need to be reading the Bible for life. I'm telling you this is so important. Paul found great hope in the scriptures in the midst of his pain. We will find great hope in the scriptures in the midst of our pain, but only if we read it. Having it on your shelf, having it in your car or in your purse, having it on your phone does no good. Read it. Read it. Disciplined reading, humble reading, fellowship reading, prayerful reading. Read the Bible for your life. Focus on Him even when things are difficult. Number two, don't lose heart. We know the outcome. We know the outcome of all of this. Those of us who are His, we know the outcome. Don't lose heart. You've got nothing to fear. Some Christians are totally distressed. This week in America, American Christians, totally out of control, distressed. Oh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. You're going to be okay if you're His. No matter what possible might happen, you're going to be okay. There is no cause for us to be in such distress. We have a king. We have a king on a throne. Nope, just three of you get that? King on a throne is good all the time. I'm not trying to speak into your political life. I'm trying to speak into your spiritual life. No matter what happens here, you'll be okay if you know him, if you know Jesus. And let me tell you this. If everything went exactly your way here and you had all you ever wanted, all you ever needed, happy, happy as can be, and you don't know him, it doesn't mean anything. I want you to get me. All that matters is knowing Him. Knowing Him and trusting Him. Application number three is for believers. Believe this truth and preach. Notice what Paul said right at the beginning. He says, but having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. Christian, this hope, this encouragement is not just so you can be happy and encouraged. This hope and this encouragement is so that you'll go to work, that you'll preach with boldness, that you'll preach with confidence the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a good gospel, right? It's good news that even though we are sinners, even though we have broken all of God's law and all of his command, and even though we deserve only anger and wrath and judgment from him, even though that's who we are, he loves us and demonstrates that love by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And the response is not one of works, not one of doing, it's simply believing, trusting in Him, and depending on Him, submitting your life to His Lordship. This is good news we've got to preach, guys. So preach it. Preach it. Tell the folks. Do it. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you for your word today. Help us to be people who care about your word, who know your word. Thank you for the way you speak into our lives through your word. God, make us disciplined, prayerful, fellowshipping, and humble readers of your word. And as we do, you speak into our lives. God, help us to be encouraged because we know the outcome. Help us to believe this good news and preach it. God, forgive us when we're happy to come in this room and get a little encouragement, get a little hope. And go out feeling good about things. God, I pray that we will be a people who come in here, get a little encouragement, get a little hope, and go out there and preach with extra boldness on a day like this. God, I pray for men and women in this room.
who are lost. They don't have hope. They don't have encouragement at all because they're far from you. God, I pray that you go to them today. Show them their sin. Show them your judgment against their sin. And show them your love for them displayed most clearly on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help them to see that Jesus died for them and rose again for them, that they might have forgiveness and hope and eternal life. God, I pray that you'll help men, women, boys and girls to respond today with repentance, faith, submission to you, all for your own glory, for your own sake, not just for theirs, for your sake, for your renown, for your praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.